Good evening. Good evening, church family. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, um, how you load us daily, Lord, um, with your love, with benefits, Lord, and pray, Lord, that you would keep us in the hour we live in. Lord, strengthen us, Lord. Pray, Lord, that you would um, keep us. Give us wisdom, Lord. Let us walk circumspectively, Lord, in the days we live in, Lord. Um, Lord, knowing that we're redeeming the time, Lord, and knowing that the world we live in is falling away from you, Lord, yet we're growing closer and closer to our redemption. And so, Lord, we know, Lord, that you love us. We pray for the peace in Jerusalem. Pray, Lord, for Israel, Lord. Pray, Lord, you would be with that nation, Lord. Um, Pray, Lord, that you would um, give us a heart, Lord, for the things you have a heart for, Lord. So, Lord, pour out your spirit tonight, Lord. We need more of you, Lord, in the world we live in. We need all that we can get from you, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen our hearts. And as David prayed, let the words in my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, you are my strength, and you are my redeemer. In Jesus' name and for his sake we pray, amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, turn with us to 2 Kings chapter 23, and we'll get through 24, I'm sure. At this point in time in history, Josiah, who becomes king at the age of eight, has been used by the Lord God of Israel. And this year, you know, the, the king of, of Israel in regards to reform in this particular time in history, in this year of his life, there was no king like him in regards to reform. This great young man, he continues to lead the nation of Israel back to their first love, having an intimate relationship with the God of their father, Jehovah. He had a relationship with him. He wanted the nation to have the same relationship that he had with Jehovah. Restoration for a nation, living in apostasy, living in idolatry, living in immorality for years, like this nation we live in too, the nation of the United States of America. We need revival in our nation. Some of the despicable things that are shown now on TV and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter or whatever else you have, um, threads. But it's just horrible. And now they have all these other TV, you know, streaming apps you can stream on because they stream them so they can have them almost not rated. They could put anything on them. And those apps, people can get them and look at anything they want to look at. Josiah is young. He became king at eight years old. He began to seek the Lord at the age 16. And by 20 years old, he purged the land of his idolatry. By 20 years old. And by the time he's 26 years old of age, he restores the temple. He restores the whole temple. And they discovered a copy of the law of the Lord. The law of Moses, you know, when this is read, Josiah, it changes his whole life. It changes his whole life, and he sends his administration to a prophetess by the name of Halder. 
And when they get to this prophetess, it says in 2 Kings chapter 22, but as for the king of Judah, speaking of Josiah, this is what Huldah says, who sent you to inquire of the Lord in this manner, you shall speak to him, thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you've heard because your heart, speaking of Josiah, because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they may be, um, would that they would become a desolation and a curse. And you tore your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to um, um, to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place. So they brought back word to the king. Josiah is right at the tip or at the end of any hope for this nation in regards to a king. Because after he dies, God will judge this nation. I'm wondering what person after they die in America and then God ushers in judgment, you know, in that sense. I wonder if that was even the case in our country. The church is still here. He won't let us, you know, we won't suffer, you know, God's wrath with the wicked. But it's real interesting to note that God is always, look, he does not judge a nation by time. He judges a nation by morality. Not time. And there's a certain point. We don't know when that point comes. There's a certain point when God says, that's enough. Judah, this nation, is at that point. And verse 1 said, Now the king sent them to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah, and with him all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, and the prophets, and at this time, you know, this would have included Jeremiah, who came on the scene during the 13th year of Josiah's reign. It would have also included, more than likely, most scholars believe his cousin was Zephaniah, who wrote the book of Zephaniah. It's just the priests and the prophets, and all the people, both small and great. And the king, meaning Josiah, and he read in their hearing all the words, notice, of the book of the, of the covenant which had been found in the house of the Lord. This is the word of God. This is a long Bible study. And I'm sure nobody was at this Bible study sleep. None of y'all sleep here, but I'm just saying. Nobody was at the Bible study sleep. They're all at this long Bible study. And it says, Then the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all of his heart and all of his soul to perform, not just hear the word and read the word, to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people took a stand for the covenant. And imagine if our nation did that. Josiah is reading, you know, and they made a stand, all those who was present. It says in Chronicles, it says those in Jerusalem and in Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin. They took a stand so that the inhabitants of, of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, you know, the God of their fathers. And the only way Judah could be in a covenant with God is through love. It's through love and through the loving of his word and the love for him. Look, people say, I love the Lord. 
Let me tell you the dangers with that when you say that. Love is an action word. Jesus says, if you love me, in John 14, I think it's verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. So somebody says, I love the Lord, I love him. And they don't do anything that the Lord says. They don't even have to tell you whether or not they love the Lord. They've proven that they don't love the Lord. Isn't it something? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. New Testament, new covenant, you know, you will keep my commandments. You'll keep, you will guard your treasures. The word toreo, toreo in the Greek, you, to hedge about, to, to treasure his word, to guard his word. And in the book of Deuteronomy, more than likely, that's where Josiah was reading from when he was standing before the people. They knew the Shema. They knew in Deuteronomy um, 6.5 that it says, You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. They knew Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. And when it says, And now in Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You know, to serve him and love him with all your heart. All your, it, it's not our agenda that counts. It's his agenda living through our lives. God's agenda, he wants to live his agenda through our lives. You know, Deuteronomy eleven thirteen it says, and it shall be that if you, if, maybe you will, maybe you won't, if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Do I love the Lord? Well, you'll serve him. I love the Lord. He'll keep his commandments. When the Lord came to Jesus, the scribe, he comes to Jesus. He says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, let me tell you what it is. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You know, that's what Jesus, it's action involved in love. You can't say you love God and there's no action. And the king, verse 4, commanded Hilkiah... The high priest, the priests of the second order and the doorkeepers to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the articles that were made for Baal, for Ashtara, and notice, and for all the hosts of heaven, and he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried them and carried the ashes to Bethel. He didn't only take these things out of the temple, but he burns them to ashes, making them Ill irretrievable. Is that something? No doubt longing to change the people's mindset about sin and idolatry and the things that they should not even have allowed to be named among them. He's not, you know, somebody says, I want to get rid of some, I want to get rid of drinking. Well, are you willing to like, never go to the state store? Or the wine and spirit store, or now in the supermarket. I'm, re I'm really willing to get rid of, you know, you know my, evil, my evil habits. Well, you're willing to just yield when the Holy Spirit says, you know that's evil, don't do it. Don't say, I'm willing, I want to learn how to be quiet. Are you willing to, when the Holy Spirit says, muzzle it? Are you willing to say, I don't care what you're saying right now, I'm mad. They done made me mad, I'm going to say what I got to say. Because change comes from yielding. 
Change comes from yielding. You know, when Paul wrote 2 Timothy, and he writes Timothy, when he's in that Mammontine dungeon, Paul says, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Everybody who names the name of Christ, don't say you can't have victory. Because the Bible says you can't have victory. When he writes to church in Ephesus, he says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking, coarse gesturing, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. Flee useful lies. Some things in our lives, they don't need to just be pushed aside. They need to be made into ashes. Just crumble it up, you know. It's almost like our cooking teacher one time. Me and a few of our guys, we made, we made oatmeal cookies in cooking class. Schools don't do that now, but kids at cooking class, you had wood shop, metal shop, you know, home economics, they taught you how to sew all this stuff in school. We had a cooking class, and they were making oatmeal cookies. And I remember we didn't care about anybody else but ourselves, so we cut everybody oven up just a notch. It was four ovens in the room. It was 16, 16 of us. And we took everybody's oven and turned it. It was supposed to be 350. We turned all their ovens up to like 425 or something and sat down. And I remember when the cookies was, you know, they gave you a timer. All their cookies, smoke was coming up. We was like, <clears throat> all their cookies was burned all up. And the teacher was like, what happened? And then we sitting there cracking up laughing. We got our nice brown oatmeal, I love oatmeal cookies, coming out of the, I said, man, I can't wait to eat, look at this. And she said, y'all must have did this. We're like, no, we didn't do that. Why would we do that? And we had a weak link in our group, he said, we did do it. I said, boy, shut up. <laughs> and she took our cookies and she slammed them down and she just smashed them all And they used to say, no walking, no choking. I was thinking of choking, you know, but I didn't. She just crumbled our cookies up. That's what we got to do with sin sometime. Turn it into ashes. You know, you know, not just throw it out. Isaiah wrote the prophet, Isaiah said, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Our lives sometimes, we, if we crumble stuff up in our lives, you know the word contrate, it means crumbled. A contrite heart, a person that come before the Lord broken over sin, broken over their wrongdoings, really coming before the Lord, say, Lord, no, you need to change me. I'm broken. Change me, Lord. Change me. Don't give me no room to do that again, Lord. You don't think the Lord will hear that prayer and honor it? Yes, he will. And it says, then he removed the idolatrous priests. Look at that. The leaders of the, the priesthood. He removed the, the priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained. His, his grandfather, I'm sure, or his great-grandfather. You know, his grandfather, Manasseh, his grandfather ordained, I'm sure, to burn incense on the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places all around Jerusalem. And those who burnt incense to Baal, notice, to the sun, 
to the moon, notice, to the constellations, notice, and to all the hosts. This word host is mansions. It speaks of 12, you know, phrases of the zodiac, astrology, which is forbidden by God, the, the, all the hosts of heven. You know, you got Christians waking up in the morning. Well, I'm just reading my son. My son said it's, gonna, it's not going to be a good day. I'm an Aquarius. And I'm a, you know, this is Christians. They believe in the zodiac sign before they believe in the Bible. And he says he removed these priests. The corrupt priests, are they were not disciplined. They were removed. They weren't under no kind of discipline. They were expelled from the priesthood, not kicked out until they got their lives together, but removed. The word removed is the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means cease or detest, rest. They put that to rest. He got rid of these guys in the Aramaic or, you know, in the Arabic, rather, not Aramaic. Aramaic, it means cause of neglect. But in the Arabic, the word means cut off or interrupt. He interrupted what they would call themselves doing. He said, uh-uh, this is it. You ain't doing this in there no more. They were the priests that were supposed to represent, you know, um, themselves um, to, to God for the people. They were corrupt. He said, no, no, no. They're not under some kind of tabernacle or temple discipline. These guys are done. You imagine being a Levite and say, what you doing now? I used to be a priest. No, you were born into the priesthood. He said, I don't care if you was born into the priesthood. You're no longer a priest. Could you imagine that? If more churches took a stand like that, when they, the leaders of church and they seen some of the leaders cheating on their wives, lying and stealing and, you know, messing with this girl and that girl. And, and they call them so praise the Lord, hallelujah, getting up there with their robe on like nothing never happened. Could you imagine if men stood up and said, listen, no more. We vote, we voting on the board. We ain't voting and there's no vote. It's not a quorum. He's done. He is done. It says, and he brought out the wooden image. Notice what he, all these things were. From the house of the Lord to the brook of Kidron, outside Jerusalem, burned it at the brook of Kidron and ground it to ashes and threw his ashes on the graves of the common people. These are the graves of those who practice the, uh, this idolatrous worship. Then he tore down the ritual booths, notice, of the perverted persons, King James says sodomites. People living double lives and thinking they would, they're not. That were in the house of the Lord where the women wove hangings, notice, of the woven image, of the wooden image, rather. They made hangings of the wooden image. These images were pornographic tapestry that had been hanging in the house of the Lord. Could you imagine y'all coming here? we got a bunch of naked pictures up? This is what they were doing. Playboy magazine, you walk in the temple and they got Playboy magazine pictures up. This how far they were away from the Lord. And the priest was allowing it. Imagine they would teach it from the scrolls and they, yeah, you heard what God said. 
They were allowing this in the, you, you, when you read this stuff, it starts blowing your mind how wicked somebody could be. And he brought all the, these are the false priests, all the priests from the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba. Also, he broke down the high places at the gates, which were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were to the left of the city gate. Nevertheless, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brethren. No doubt they were afraid to come to Jerusalem because he would have had their heads, I'm sure. And he defiled Tophath, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or his daughter pass through the fire of Molech. This was putting an end to their way of, of, of aborting babies. And we'll read more about that in the next chapter. Then he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun. <laughs> this is Ra, the son of, you know, the, the, the sun god of the Egyptians. You know, at the entrance of the house of the Lord, by the chamber of Nathan Malek, the officer who was in the court, and he burned the chariots of the sun with fire. This was Egyptian worship. It's like pantheism, you know, they had every, all kinds of, you know, religions, everything mixed in together, amalgamated in. You see it in church today, even in church today, you see it all mixed in. That, yeah, the Bible's important, but what about all the other stuff? You know, what about this, and what about this, the music and the praise dances, and you got to get all this other stuff right. You know, all of this stuff was just baloney in the eyes of Josiah because he had a heart after God. He said, the altars, verse 12, they were on the roof, the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars which Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord, the king broke down and pulverized. It's from the Latin word pulvis, which means dust. So Josiah grinds these altars to dust there and threw their dust into the brook of Kedron. Then the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem, which were on the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashereth, the abomination of the Sidonians, Chemosh, and Chemosh, the, the abomination of the Moab. These are the gods. If you want to know what gods these, these nations worship, is right here. Sidonians at Ashtoreth, you know, Chemosh was the abomination of the Moabites, Moabites, and then Milcom, the abomination of the people of Ammon, the Ammonites. They were actually still remnants of those things that Solomon had set up to the false gods decades ago to appease his foreign wives. Remember in 1 Kings chapter 11? And he broke in pieces the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images and filled their places with the bones of men. Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel, now he's moving northward of Judah, going to Israel. And the high place with Jeroboam, the son of Nabak, who made Israel sin, had, had made both the altar and the high place. He broke down and he burned the high place and crushed it to powder and burned the wooden image. And Josiah turned 
He saw the tombs that were on there, that were um, there on the mountain, and he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to this notice. He did all of this, it says, according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed, who proclaimed these words. You said, well, what in the world are they talking about when they say he did this according to the word of the Lord? Turn back in your Bible. Do me a favor. Turn back to 1 Kings chapter 13. I'm going to show you something. While this is real significant, what he did, this was the prophetic word of the living God being fulfilled. It was the word of God being fulfilled. It was the word of God. You know, not only we just say, well, let's read the Bible. No, no, no. We don't got to figure this out. You can read this and realize this was the word of the living God that he was fulfilling. In 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 1, it says this. And behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. Then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, O altar, thus says the Lord, behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense, on you and men's bones shall be burnt on you. And he gave a sign the same day saying, this is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Surely the altar shall split apart and the ashes on it shall be poured out. Je Josiah fulfilled that prophecy by this unknown man of God. This is a righteous indignation here. A, a, a fire burning in Josiah, which, which, which drove him. It drove him to get rid of all idolatry. And, and it was inevitable that God's judgment was coming. You know, and the prophetess told him, it won't happen in your day. Most of us would have said, I don't care what happened to the nation. I'm not gonna, it ain't going to happen to me anyway. He said, no, on my watch, as long as I'm here, I'm going to be right before God. And I'm going to do what's right in the sight of the living God. He's purging any and everything that is connected with the sin of the nation in both Judah. And now he's moving northward towards Israel. And verse 17 says, then he said, what gravestones is this I see? So the men of the city told him, it's, it is the tomb of the man of God, notice, who came from Judah and proclaimed these things which you have done against the altar of Bethel. This man of God spoke of Josiah by name 325 years before he was born. 325 years before Josiah was born, this man of God said he would do these things. This makes me say one thing in my heart when I read this. It's no way in the world you can't believe the word of God. It's no way. He said a child, you know, Josiah by name will be born to the house of David. That's the Josiah he's writing about. It's amazing. Look, the grass may wither. You may know that. The grass does wither, right? The flowers, they do fade. But the word of the Lord, our God stands forever. You better know that's right. You know, Deuteronomy 32 two says, let my teaching drop as the rain and my speech distill as the dew, as, as rain drops on the tender herb, as the showers on the grass. Heaven and earth look may pass away, but my words by no means will pass away, the Lord Jesus said. You can rely on the word. You know what happens, I think? 
We live in a culture where the Bible is not the main authority in people's lives anymore. It becomes optional. They read the Bible and say, well, you know, you know, I don't know, I got an opinion about this verse. Some stuff is not opinionated. God don't care about our opinion. Do y'all realize that? He doesn't care about your opinion. Mine either. And then it says in verse 18, and he said, let him alone. Let no one move his bones. So they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet who came from Samaria. Now Josiah also took away all the shrines of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made to provoke the Lord to anger. And he did to them according to all the deeds he had done in Bethel. He executed, notice, all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burned men's bones on them and returned to Jerusalem. This is the greatest Passover that the nation has ever seen since the days of the judges. <laughs> the Passover, it, it, because the Passover is not a Levitical feast. It was instituted pre-law. It's not a Levitical feast. This was a feast of deliverance reminding the nation of Israel of God's mighty hand and deliverance from Egypt. It's pre-law, the Passover. You know what Paul says? Christ is our Passover. Because he passed over our sins and took on his sins on a tree by himself. Christ. And Josiah could celebrate this Passover knowing that he obeyed the Lord. Knowing that he obeyed the Lord. Second Chronicles chapter 35. The whole chapter is about this feast that is mentioned, you know, in the next three verses here, you know. Verse 21 and 22 and 23, it says, Then the king commanded all the people, saying, Keep the Passover, which haven't been kept in about a hundred years up to this point, to the Lord your God, as it is written in this book of the covenant, such a Passover surely had never been held since the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, but in the 18th year of King Josiah. This Passover was held before the Lord in Jerusalem. Just imagine children asking their parents, why are we getting rid of all the unleavened bread in our house? Because leaven was always a picture of sin. A little leaven leavens the whole entire lump. And it says, moreover, verse 24, Jehovah put away, I mean, Josiah rather, put away those who, notice, consulted in mediums and spiritists, the people that went to the psychic hotline, the household gods and idols, all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Now therefore, now before rather, him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord, who turned to notice to the Lord with all his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. No trace of sin in the land because he says, I'm going to legislate something. You can't do this no more. You can't do that. No, prostitution is not legal no more because anybody get caught going into a prostitute house, they get executed. You think somebody's going down to see a prostitute? 
Or you go to Singapore, you think they got a weed, a weed problem in Singapore? You get caught with weed, they shoot you in the spot. You think anybody smoke weed in Singapore? On Saudi Arabia, you get caught stealing, they cut your hand off? You think somebody's stealing anything going? Imagine you went to the mall and you stole something, they cut your hand off. And everybody that's seen you walking down the street with a nub like this, hey, they realize that guy's a thief. Don't you trust him? <laughs> Had a twofold effect. Everybody knew what you did, but you knew that you could never do it again, at least with that hand. Y'all get it? And it says, nevertheless, the Lord did not turn from the fierceness of his great wrath. This impeding judgment was happening with which his anger was aroused against Judah because, notice, because of all the provocations, notice, with which Manasseh has provoked him. And the Lord said, I will also remove Judah from my sight as I have removed Israel and will cast off this city, Jerusalem, which I have chosen and the house of which I said, my name shall be there. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? In this day, this is 609 BC, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went to a, the king of, of Assyria, to the river of Euphrates, and King Josiah went against him, and Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo when he confronted him. In other words, Josiah died in a battle that he should have never got involved with. Especially when you read Chronicles, Second Chronicles 35, it gives you way more details. He should have mind his own business. He told him the king, he says, why are you meddling with God who is with me lest he destroy you? And he said, I don't care what you say, I'm getting involved in the middle of something he had nothing to do with. Then his servants moved his body in a chariot in Megiddo, that's Armageddon, Megiddo, brought him to Jerusalem and buried him in his own tomb. And the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, anointed him and made him king in his father's place. Verse 31, Jehoahaz, which means Jehovah upholds, was 23 years old when he became king and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was, notice, they mentioned his mother's name, Hamatel. It's another one of Josiah's wife, which means father-in-law is protection. What a name. She's mentioned in um, Jeremiah 52.1, I believe. The daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. So this is not Jeremiah the prophet. Because Jeremiah the prophet, we know it's not Jeremiah the prophet because he wasn't from Libna. And secondly, we know that the Bible tells us in Jeremiah 16, verse 2, that he should never marry nor take and have any children in that place. So Jeremiah was a single. He never got married, never had children. So it's not that Jeremiah. This is a different Jeremiah from Libna. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done, now Pharaoh Necho put him in prison at Riblah in the land of Ham Hamath, that he might not reign in Jerusalem. And he imposed on the land a tribute of 100 talents of silver and a talent of gold. Then Pharaoh Necho made, notice, Eliakim, which means setting up, the son of Josiah, king in the place of his father, Josiah, and changed his name to Jehoiakim. So it's Jehoiachin, Jehoahaz, Jehoiachin, and Jehoiakim. Three different people. And then Zedekiah, of course. He'll be last. 
They the last four kings of Judah. And Pharaoh took Jehoahaz and went to Egypt and he died there. So Jehoiakim gave the silver and gold to Pharaoh, but he taxed the land to give money according to the command of Pharaoh. He enacted, notice, the silver and gold from, you know, the people of the land, from everyone according to his assessment, to give it to Pharaoh Necho. So he said, I'm going to raise the taxes in the land so I can pay this guy who put me on the throne. And Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was um, Zaboda, which means gift. She's another one of Josiah's wife. He had another wife, different wife, the daughter of Padiah, Aruma, And he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father, fathers had done. Chapter 24, verse 1, it says, in his, speaking of Jehoiakim, days, Nebuchadnezzar, 609 B.C., king of Babylon came up, and Jehoiakim, notice, became his vessel for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. This is the first deportation of the Jews carried away to Babylon. It appears that at this point it moves to a time frame of about 605 B.C., this would include, now in this first deportation, it would include Daniel, all of his buddies, Daniel, you know, Hananiah, Mishael, and Ezariah, and they all changed their names. Daniel got the name of Belteshazzar, Hananiah's name was Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Ezariah was called Abednego. So their names got changed. Many believed that they were teenagers, and they were castrated and made eunuchs. And you say, well, how do you know they was castrated and made eunuchs? Because they were under the care of the eunuchs. But Isaiah prophesied about 100 years before that in Isaiah chapter 39, verse 7, around the time when Hezekiah was king, Isaiah said that, and they shall take away some of your sons and will, and will descend, that will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Isaiah prophesied that. All right, Josiah, when you get up there, man, that's, that's where it's at. Josiah reading Isaiah. And he prophesied of that they would be eunuchs. I'm trying to love the Bible because there's nobody can trick me and say, oh, you believe that old buck. I'm like, you, I believe everything I read. It's no question. This is the written word of God. A hundred years before they were taken into Babylon. Hey, he says, now you're going to make your kids eunuchs. And the Lord sinned against him, Jehoiakim, that's who the him is here, raiding bands of Chaldeans, bands of Syrians, bands of Moabites, and bands, and they're not talking about rock bands, they're talking about bandits, you know, and armies, and people of Ammon. He sent, this is God's judgment, them against Judah to destroy it, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servants. Notice it says the prophets, plural. You speaking of Isaiah? You speaking of, because Isaiah was around the same time, and Micah, they was contemporaries. Micah, definitely Jeremiah, because Jeremiah was in Jerusalem. When they were taken away, Jeremiah was there. And he says, go down to, remember Jeremiah was going down to, he was outside of the temple. Then he went down to the temple precinct. Around, he was around the king's house. He was, you know, he was just prophesying, prophesying. And they got so mad with him. You know what they did? They threw him in a cistern. 
He was like 60 years old. They threw him in his cistern and threw him in this mud. And he was down the mud. You know, Flavius Josephus, the Jew Jewish historian, says the mud was up to his nose. And Epic Malik, remember the eunuch, went in and threw ropes in, asked Zedekiah for 30 men, and they dragged Jeremiah out. Jeremiah is around this time. He's around this time prophesying, saying, repent, repent, repent. And they wouldn't hear him. Is that something? Habakkuk would have been around. The prophets. It says, surely at the commandment of the Lord, this came upon Judah, notice, to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh. Manasseh names, means forgetting, and they forgot all about the Lord, according to all that he had done. You know, 2 Kings 21, verse 1 through 16, you know, shows us everything that he did. He was a wicked king. And also because of the innocent blood, notice, that he had shed, for he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood. What is he talking about here? Which the Lord would not pardon. Innocent blood. You know what that is? Putting their kiss through the fire of Molech. It's like abortion. It's putting their kiss through the fire of Molech, 2 Kings 23, verse 10, which was forbidden by the law of Moses in, Deut in Leviticus 18, 21. And you read it, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 2 through 5. He said it was forbidden for them to put their kiss through Molech. The devil always try to use music to desensitize people. When they put their baby on that thing, you know, that hot little metal statue, and that baby fried. They had a whole group of people playing drum beats and playing music. You didn't hear the baby die. You couldn't even hear it. They drowned out the cry. Anytime Satan wanted to do something, he always include music. Remember when Nebuchadnezzar built that big statue? He said, no, Hoover don't bow down to what? To music. Because music drowns out everything. You get sorrows, you listen to some music. And here they were killing their own children. Look, Road versus Wade. 1973, since 1973 in the United States of America, not every country in the world, the United States of America alone has been 63 million legal abortions. 63 million legal abortions. 63 million. Do you imagine how many scientists, doctors, we probably wouldn't even have cancer now. We, they probably have been the people that came on the scene of Hillsong. It would have been somebody that raised up. We would have been a fruitful nation. It's 300 million people here. It would have been 300 million plus 63 million more. It says be fruitful and multiply. That's what the Bible says. Be fruitful and multiply. In 2020, there was 620,000 legal abortions in the United States, and they called that a good year. So we had a pretty good year. It's on the downtrend. We live in a culture where they try to legislate stuff that they have no right to legislate. They have no right to legislate life. So, well, God, God is pro-life. That ain't even that question. That's not political. Well, you're not got a political stand. Well, that's a crazy stand. God is pro-life. He created life. We created in his image. We said, well, you don't know. I got my own views. I don't care about your views. I know what the Bible says. I know what the Bible says. So God said, look. 
because of the innocent blood that he had shed. For he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. I would love to see all those abortionist, atheist doctors standing before the Lord at the great white throne judgment, trying to explain how they could rationalize taking the life of somebody. Or it's just a fetus, or it's just an embryo, or, you know. Well, why when the prince, when the princess, or whatever her name is, Prince Harry's wife, when she was pregnant, so she's having a baby. They didn't call that a fetus. They said she's having a baby. She's only one month. No, she's having a baby. And why is it that if somebody run over a pregnant woman, it's two counts of a hickle homicide? Why? Because the world has lost its natural mind. That's why. That's why. See these little kids running around here, laughing, and you know, like, who would do anything to hurt these little kids? For such is the kingdom of God. Breaks my heart. And it broke God's heart too. He says he would not pardon. Since now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings? And much is written about Jehoiakim is written in the book of Jeremiah. You want to study his life? And Jeremiah described his arrogance in Jeremiah chapter 22, verses 13 through 23. He was an arrogant man. So Jehoiakim rested with his fathers. And notice Jehoiachin also known as um, Jeconiah, Jehoiachin, oh, he's got three names. He's called Jehoiachin in 1 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 16. He's called Keniah in Jeremiah 22, 24. His son reigned in this place. It's the grandson of Josiah. And the king of Egypt did not come out of his land anymore, for the king of Babylon had taken all that belonged to the king of Egypt from the brook of Egypt to the river Euphrates, then Jehoiachin, notice, was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. His mother's name was Nahasha, Nahashta. Imagine that, Nahashta, hush up, woman. You know, it sounds like, it sounds like Nahashtan, the false god, which was made of brass, a brass serpent mentioned in 2 Kings 18.4, but that's not the same name. Nahashta is her name, the daughter of Elnathan of Jerusalem, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father had done. At that time, the servants, notice, of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. This is seven, five, rather, this is 579 B.C., <clears throat> the second deportation, 597 B.C., rather, the second deportation. This would include Ezekiel. So this is 597 B.C., and the third time that Nebuchadnezzar comes up is going to be, the next time is going to be 586 B.C., and he's going to burn down Solomon's temple. But here, this is 597 B.C., he takes Ezekiel, and he's gone, and that whole group. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city as his servants were beseeching it. Then Jehoiachin, king of Judah, his mother, his servants, his princes, his officers went out to the king of Babylon. And the king of Babylon, in the eighth year of his reign, took him prisoner. Didn't kill him. 
didn't kill him, took him prisoner. And he carried out, notice, from all the treasures, notice, and he carried out from there all the treasures of the house of the Lord, notice, and the treasures of the king's house. Remember in 2 Kings, when the Babylonians, who was like nobody back then, they weren't really no superpower. They had superpower now, but they were nobody then. The Syrians were the superpower. The Babylonians became a superpower when Nebuchadnezzar's father, who was a general in the Assyrian army, goes out the battle, comes back, finds that breach in the wall, goes to Nineveh, overtakes the Assyrians, and the Babylonians came to power. But they were not a superpower when Hezekiah was on the scene. And they came up to Hezekiah after he was sick, and Isaiah said, what did you show those people? He said, what did you show them? <clears throat> and you know what Hezekiah said? He said, I showed them all the treasures, you know, the treasuries and stuff. And then I, uh, Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, days are, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. It's happening right here in this verse. So if you take 2 Kings 24, verse 13, and you take 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 17, Put those two together, you'd be like, wow. This really happened like Isaiah said it would happen. See how all these prophets working around, they're working around. The Old Testament is about Israel. God's people. Is that he cut in pieces all the articles of gold which Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the temple of the Lord. As the Lord had said, also had carried into captivity all Jerusalem. All the captains and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and smiths. None remain except the notice, the poorest people of the land. And when you read Jeremiah chapter 39, verse 10, Jeremiah chapter 40, verse 7, Jeremiah chapter 52, verse 16, it wasn't a bad thing to be a poor person at this time in history. Because if I wasn't poor, I would have faked like I was poor. I would put all dirt and everything. I'm like, you know, I'm sure it was something with fake hoodies on and, you know, trying to be poor. And he carried Jehoiachin captive to Babylon. The king's mother, his wives, so he had more than one wife. King shouldn't multiply wives. That became, polygamy became normal to them. His officers and the mighty of the land he carried into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. All the valid men, 7,000 craftsmen and smiths, 1,000 and all who were strong and fit for war, these the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon. Look, he said, y'all love idols? You love idols? Yeah, I love idols. We're going to take you to the capital of idols. On the other side of this captivity, you're not going to hear nothing about no idols in Israel. Because eventually they'll have the Sadducees that come through Zadok. Then the Pharisees that come to be Orthodox guys, they would date like, no, no, we, no idols here. We don't need no idols. Uh-uh. You want another idol? No, no. Because they were so stupid to make an idol. Because look, this is the God who opened the Red Sea. This is the God who sent rain down, you know, on the, on the altar when Elijah was against the prophets of Baal. This is the God who made, they said in Psalm 78, verse 25, like angels' food. They had manna coming down from heaven. Could you imagine every morning you woke up, it was manna. 
This was the God who parted the Red Sea and the Jordan River during his highest peak. That's the God they had who beat Pharaoh. All of those, when you read the Ten Commandments and you read the, you know, the life of the story of the Egypt, Egyptian bondage and every, you know, every one of those different, you know, um, plagues that they had in the land. Every last one of those plagues. When he turned the Nile into blood. You know why the Nile got turned into blood? Because they believed the Nile had healing power. That, that was one of their gods. Every plague was against one of the gods that was in Egypt. And if you go and read a book, I got a book home about all the gods of Egypt. They had all kinds of gods. Hathor, heck. Remember that god they had? The Hathor, the one that looked like a half falcon, half man. They had all kinds of gods. Ra, the sun god. They had god, the gnat god, the frog god, the water god. They had all kinds of gods. And God whipped their gods up and said, I want to show you who I am. With my righteous right hand, outstretched arm, I defeated Egypt. And you mean to tell me you're going to go back to Egypt? You mean to tell me you're going to trust in a tree you just cut down and you melted and overlaid with gold? Part of the wood you made a sofa out of and the other part you laid down and bound down to? How crazy is that? They didn't keep the Sabbath, the Lord's Sabbath, for 490 years. So they owed the Lord 70 years for each Sabbath year they didn't keep. That's why they went to captivity in Babylon for 70 years. Jeremiah's left in um, Jerusalem. Ezekiel's in, near the river of Chebar, 200 miles proper of Babylon. He's prophesying, God using them, and you know, to speak of the future. You read the book of Ezekiel, you say, what in the world? You read chapters 44, 40, and you go all the way through, and then you got a picture of the Millennium Temple. They didn't have a temple. Sing us one of those songs, you know, Psalm 136. They didn't have a temple. How could they sacrifice to God of sin offerings? They didn't have that. They were taken captive. Because God said, none of those things meant more than me. None of them. None of your sacrifices means more than your relationship with me. I have no delight in burnt offerings. Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. You remember Saul and David, you know, and Saul, you know, God gives David the kingdom. But Saul, you know, ultimately Samuel looks at Saul and says, look, for rebellion is the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as the iniquity of idolatry. You rejected the word of the Lord. He rejected you from being king. Why did he get rejected? Because of the word of the Lord. Why did they go in captivity? Because of the word of the Lord. Why do people live defeated lives? Because of the word of the Lord. They don't obey it. And when you don't obey the Lord, this is a great picture of the nation of Israel. It's a great picture of anybody that don't obey the Lord that claims to know him. You'll be taken captive. Jeremiah was there. Ezekiel was there. You know, all the Daniel, he's in the palace. <laughs> Daniel's in the palace. You know, Jeremiah was preaching for years, and I'm sure he thought nobody heard what he had to say. You know, you imagine preaching. You read Daniel chapter 9. He goes to Darius and says, let me tell you something, Darius. You know, in the hood, they call him Darius, but that's not his name. His name is Darius. He goes to Darius, and he says, you know, I think those 70 years that Jeremiah spoke of is fulfilled. In Jeremiah 25 and in Jeremiah 29, he mentions those 70 years. Cyrus, who's called by Isaiah, Isaiah 44, 28, Isaiah 45, verse 1, he's called by name hundreds of years, hundreds of years or so before he was even born. 
He signs a decree. You read the end of 2 Chronicles and you read Ezra chapter 1, verse 3. It's the same exact edict. That's how we know that Ezra wrote Chronicles. And God in his grace and his love and his mercy for Israel set them free from Babylonian captivity. When the Babylons who was bragging, remember when they, when they took all the, remember all these gold vessels and stuff that they took? The drunken, you know, son of, not direct son of Nebuchadnezzar, but down the road, King Belshazzar has this big feast, remember? And he brought out all the vessels. And this is the handwriting was on the wall, meaning, meaning, took of your farts, and your days are counted and numbered, buddy, you're done. And then the Medes and the Persians came over and took over. And God set his people free after 70 years. He loved Israel, but he chastened those whom he loved. He chastens those whom he loved. That includes me, you, and anybody else. He chastens those whom he loved, like a father does who loves his son. And it says, then the king of Babylon made Madaniah, notice, Jehoiachin's uncle, king in his place, and changed his name to Zedekiah. Now, when you read the book of Ezekiel, he never calls him king. He always calls him prince. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king and reigned for 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hemuel, the daughter of Jeremiah of Limna. He had the same mother. He did also evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that Jehoiakim had done. He would align himself with the king of Egypt again. But this would be a different pharaoh, Pharaoh Hafra. Hafra you know, and in you know, 589 to 570 B.C., it says, For because of the anger of the Lord, this happened, notice, in Jerusalem and Judah, that he finally cast them out from his presence. Then Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. This took place during his ninth year as king of Judah, 588 B.C. More than likely, this rebellion was edged on by the false prophet Hananiah. When you read, you know, Jeremiah 28, that Hananiah, that false prophet, and he was telling them, this lying prophet, oh, no, all the stuff that, you know, Nebuchadnezzar took from you, you know, no, that carried away, God is going to bring it back, and all this stuff. You know how the prophets speak today. God's going to bless you. You're going to get, you got to, oh, Lord, you're going to get a triple blessing. Oh, yeah. Next year this time, you have a husband in the house, in the car. And yeah, shut up. He was a lying prophet like that, Hananiah. And he edged them on and said, oh, don't read no Babylon. No Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar ain't going to take. And Jeremiah told Hananiah, look, in the presence of all the priests and in the presence of all the people who stood in the house of the Lord. And Jeremiah the prophet said, amen, you're right. The Lord says this. Let me tell you something. Next year this time, you're going to be dead, buddy. He died, too. Who was the true prophet? Hananiah or Jeremiah? You go home and read Jeremiah 28. All of this is going on simultaneously, all this action through the Bible. You got Jeremiah involved in here. You got some prophecies from Isaiah. You got a prophecy from a man of God that we don't know of about Josiah. All these things happen in history. You get your Encyclopedia Britannia and you go through and it's like, well, who was the king doing this time? It's right in history. Who was the king when Jerusalem was destroyed in 586 B.C.? Zedekiah. 
Ezekiel said, no, 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 let me tell you something about this man. He's the one that's going to see, you know, he's, he's going to be taken to Babylon, Ezekiel chapter 12, and not see it. You know how? He gets out to Ribla where they judged everybody. King of Babylon, um, um, Nebuzaradan, his captain, they take it in, they beat you and kill you. They killed his two sons in front of him and then gouged his eyes out and took him to Babylon. So he went to Babylon, but he never saw it. Look, never doubt the word of God. Never doubt the word of God. It's not going to be what you always want to hear. It's going to be what we need to know. You know, so many places you go to today is sad. You know, they got to shout to get the people excited. They got to get excited. You know, you got to go and they got to get ready, get ready. They got to say something. They got to hear everybody say amen, amen, amen. You know, almost like a, a show, a James Brown show. You know, can I get into it? Yeah, back up. Yeah. You know, it's almost like that. That doesn't move God. What moves God is that the word is being taught, honestly, truthfully taught, simply being taught. That's what moves God is his word. It's not even my word. I'm just a paper boy. This is the word of God. This is the word of is the living word of God. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. The entirety of his truth, it says in Psalm 119, you know, 89, is settled in heaven. And he wants it to settle in our hearts that we would have good soil that it could bear fruit, some 100-fold, some 60, and some 30. That's why we're here at Bible study tonight. Not because we want to feel good. Because we want to know the truth. And you know what happens when you know the truth? It sets you free. It never says feeling good sets you free. No, it don't. You can feel good all day long and still be in bondage. To just live by faith, not by feelings. Well, I don't feel like this sounds, this not, this not working for me. I don't feel. When you hear that word feel, you go like, you should go like this. Bling, 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 bling. It's like a little alarm goes off in my mind. Like, what do you mean feel? To just live by faith. I think Christ felt good about carrying that heavy cross. <laughs> no, he did it out of obedience, even to the point of death. He obeyed the Father, and obedience does not always feel good. But you know what I can tell you about obedience? It's right. Y'all believe that? Do you believe that? You believe that? Let's stand up. Let's give the Lord a big hand tonight if you believe that. No, I said a big hand tonight if you believe that. Nothing. That's right. We believe in truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Your truth has sets us free, Lord. It's not, Lord, um by power nor by might, but by the spirit of the Lord of hosts, Lord, that you can do these things in our lives, Lord. All these examples we read about, we look at these chapters, we see all this truth about how people were taken into bondage. It was because they didn't obey the truth, Lord. Father, let us not be that. Let us be able to hear the word Apply it to our hearts, Lord, and the things that we hear that pertain to our particular situation, our walk, and who we are, Lord, pray. Lord, we want to get rid of every idol in our lives, Lord. I want to get rid of everything that impedes me from walking upright and clearly seeing your path, Lord. I want to get rid of anything in my life, Lord. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that you keep us in the days we live in.
Give us wisdom. We want your wisdom, Lord, is a peaceable wisdom. So, Father, we pray, Lord, that you said the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and you also said the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so, Father, we want your wisdom, Lord. We want to learn your voice. Let it speak to us louder than any of the voice in the days we live in. The days we live in are evil, and Lord, we are the salt and the light of this world, Lord. So use our lives to be salt and light. We love you, we praise you, and it's in Jesus' matchless name we pray and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Let's sing a song together.